Welcome back to the Pot of Greed. That's right. So this week's going to be a fun one because uh, we're going to be recapping our experience at the TCG Con event in Houston, mm-hmm. Texas last weekend. All cards, all the time. Along with, you know, all the typical array of news and things like that. So, um, yeah, nice to see you guys here. Obviously, shout out to anybody watching the premiere live. One's in chat, if you are. Put your ones up. And before we get into all of it, I do have another review. This is from... Um, M-A-K-L-D-S-2-4-2-5. That's what? the username. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, the podcast review. I love the APS channel. I watch your YouTube videos all the time. I watch the podcast episode on YouTube. Can't wait to catch the next one on here. All the love from Egypt. Wow. A.K.A. Inventors of Dual Monsters, at least according to the anime. Yes, this is actually a listener from mm. Egypt, which is pretty cool. So, shout I wonder out what you. it's like to be in the Yu-Gi-Oh! homeland. Yeah, uh, I mean... <laughs> So people, probably not. People wrongly even, think it's Japan. I mean, yeah, I was gonna say you probably doesn't have much Yu-Gi-Oh actually there, but you know, I would hope Kazuki Takahashi before you know before he passed went to Egypt at least once. Oh, oh certainly. <laughs> I don't know if Konami probably no, cares much. I don't, I don't know. Think they, I guess I don't know. Are, are Yu-Gi-Oh cards like a big thing there? Like culturally, for a different reason, maybe that would be interesting to find out. Hmm. But anyways, thank you so much for the review. As always, we appreciate any five-star reviews or thumbs up if you're on YouTube or really anything else. That's true. Even the spicy one. All right. So real quick, let's talk about TCG Con. Okay, cool. So um, so for you guys who don't know, TCG Con is an event that is card game centered, but they hold it all over the country in the yeah, United States. It's um, We went to the one that was in Houston. Apparently, there's one later this summer, like in the summer in Los Angeles, and then I think in Tampa, Florida, mm-hmm. uh, later in the year. And so, yeah, it's just a kind of a thing for card game lovers. A lot of vendors, a lot of um, voice actors uh, who, like, you know, maybe were involved in, like, 90s, 2000s cartoons that really related to card games. They had tournaments. I guess the best way to sell it is if you've ever been to, like, an anime convention or a comic convention, and, you know, you're like, I wonder if they'll have, like, tournaments. Because sometimes they have tournaments, these events. You show up, and you keep asking around, and no one knows anything. And by mm-hmm. the time you find the card game place, they're only <laughs> playing Commander, or they're only playing some hyper-niche card game you've never heard of. Yeah. Well, TCG Con is the opposite of that. Yeah, they actually had a lot of a lot of tournaments. And uh, it's a lot of things. A lot of... So, okay, I guess to start with the vendor part... Um, you could pretty much just walk around and find vendors selling cards of mm-hmm. any game you played. I know you were saying they were all you, over the place. Obviously, I sold a lot of Yu-Gi-Oh cards right I off the bat. I sold a lot of Magic and I sold a lot of Digimon because I just been holding on to a lot of stuff. Yeah, we have so many cards around here just from product opening stuff and like, and we don't sell cards you know, typically. Yeah, and typically like we we're, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a big card seller. I'm really not. Um, I guess it's maybe a fun like bit of trivia. Because people maybe think, like, a lot of YouTubers are, like, you know, just have, like, every single card, and they're, like, running these businesses and buying and selling. I'm re- No, not not us. We, uh, uh, I think, at least for me, that was my first time ever selling cards. And um, I did it because the Yu-Gi-Oh card game right now is kind of expensive, and one of my favorite decks and strategies is one of the more expensive ones. So... I don't just r- randomly have an extra couple hundred dollars to throw down on my Snake Eyes deck. But I did have a few hundred dollars worth of cards that just sit there. Yeah, and sit there is important because um, I was selling a lot of foils from the binder. 
Um, we have like a subbinder where we just put foils that we pull from new packs, but like it's not really like organized really. And there's a lot of like old cars that we've just come across through all sorts of means over the years. And so I thought it was really productive to be able to basically sell a lot of those cards to vendors, get cash for them, and invest that cash for the most part into decks I am currently playing mm-hmm. and like higher rarities. So like I was my goal for that weekend was to pick up collectors rare cards. For my decks like Exosisters, Vanquish Soul, Rescue Ace, um, Labyrinth. Those are some of my favorites. And Collector's Rare is obviously one of my favorite rarities. So I just sold like many, many useless foils for me at least. Right. But like they were able to, you know, fund um, a few, a handful of decks. And kind of helps to downsize. Oh, yeah. Uh, we have loads of cards on here and we're still not. I mean, there's still we're, a lot. We still have a long to, way to go. Yeah, and it's not like a, oh, like I'm quitting Yu-Gi-Oh thing. It's just more like I just have way too many cards. I, I think of it as more of like kind of um, transforming your collection. You're moving your connect your collection upwards. You're reducing the width and pushing it up as far as the average value of the cards you have. Yeah. Um, for me, I was um, I, a new Digimon set had just come out, so I turned a lot of what I sold into Digimon alt arts and new Digimon alt arts at that. You know, when they're really expensive. But um, it it was it was just a very nice thing to not have to dig into my bank account and you know put myself in financial distress to get the shiny cardboard I want when I had so much leftover shiny cardboard that I didn't have to. Yeah, it's much easier justifying buying like some because like I was buying uh, Rescue Ace Hydrant or some of the other collectors rares that like might cost. 50, 60, 80, 90 dollars. It's so much easier to justify buying them when I'm just buying them with the money from old foils that I've pulled years ago and just mm-hmm. been kind of like sitting on. Because, guys, we don't compete. And yeah, we don't compete really very often anyway in, uh, in paper Yu Gi Oh! And like, there's also card prices fluctuate so much. And I'm not like a market watcher, so I don't really ever know. Like, one example was um, I was able to sell like Generator Lopter, for instance, which apparently is 16 bucks. Well, mm-hmm. as it happened, I have I have a generator deck, and I run three ultras in that. But there are actually like just two spare ones that we had, and there. So I was able to like sell them to the yes. vendors, and like now, granted, vendors do give like pretty low payouts on stuff, but that's like the business model. I so. mean, like we know, I never suggest people try to get into card games for profit. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just a especially Yu-Gi-Oh, you are asking for trouble. It's not not impossible, just golly. For some people to win, there's going to be a lot of losers. I wouldn't suggest it, but if you have a, a large collection and you are struggling to get the new expensive shiny cards you want, maybe consider downsizing. You know, just sell some of the old, more useful foils. You, you'd be surprised what has a price on it. Because of Edison, there's even a lot of older cars that have prices on them for no apparent reason. Yeah, there's just all <laughs> kinds of things. It's, like, really worth um, worth considering. And other than that, there were tournaments. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I played, played at Digimon. How'd you do? Bad. Not well. <laughs> I did bad. Did you have fun? I did. Okay. Yeah, I played in Yu-Gi-Oh. Um, I played in the advanced format Yu-Gi-Oh tournament. They did have an Edison format one as well um, The on Saturday, but the advanced format one was on Sunday. I played and also Trell played, and there were only actually eight people. Stop. You always lead with the number of people. First tell them wh- the result. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I got second place. At a... Eight-person tournament. At a 1K. Yeah, that, okay. That should he probably got second place at a 1K, y'all. Sure, I'm being modest. Okay, <laughs> let me tell the full story. 
So they were doing um, Yu-Gi-Oh tournaments. There was an Edison 2K, like a $2,000 Edison tournament on Saturday. And there's also a $1,000 advanced format one. It's Kinda crazy weird. the Edison one was double the prize. I guess the crowd that attends these events might be a little more Edison skewed. There was than, a lot of Edison players. Like there were a lot. Advanced format skewed, but um, they didn't really advertise the the uh, like advanced format tournament. So only eight people played, but they did honor the payout of $1,000. <laughs> Um, by the end of the second round, though, 11 people were playing, so that was really cool. Mm, uh, respectable the, numbers. Yeah, respectable numbers. <laughs> the edited format thing was huge, though. Like It was yeah. like seven rounds. They had uh, so um, many tables. Lorcana was also really big. It was huge. Yeah, so Lorcana was big, Essen was big, um, but in my tournament, it was a little smaller than that. So, But I got second place, and uh, I got $200. Hey. So, pretty cool. Getting a little money for playing Yu-Gi-Oh! Um, and I was able to just use that money to buy more cards i mean that was that was the whole thing tcg kind of was a place just to cards and cash were moving around like crazy yeah if you're into that kind of thing then it's definitely i guess the place for you there was also like merchandise and accessories i bought a judge mat off a judge he was about to sell all of his mats and i was like please let me have a look at these before you do a lot of cosplayers as well um Mm. shout outs to danielle danicola yeah she did the my valentine cosplay uh it got got a a lot of buzz online i saw Got a lot of buzz (laughs) yeah i uh, got a picture with her great really great cosplay actually like the hair for my seems like that's very stressful to do Mm because my's hair is something (laughs) you know what i liked about her cosplay was that she made sure you never saw her from behind like you only ever saw the wig from in front the wig from behind, though, I got a glimpse. Okay. <laughs> what is it like? Let's just say it really is hard to maintain those giant, like, just anime mine, wigs. huge curls and everything else. <laughs> yeah, shout outs to her. Great cosplay. Shout outs to all the cosplayers and all the fans that we met. A lot of people just came up and talked. Mm. Oh, and there were great guests, too. There were voice yeah. actors, but also a lot of, like, WWE stars were there. That was Which cool. was really interesting. It seemed like that wouldn't exactly be the crowd, but they were they had like the biggest lines. Yeah, they had the so. biggest lines by far. It was uh Rikishi, Mick Foley, Nikki James, and Lita were all in attendance and that was great. I felt like I was right back in my childhood. Yep. And uh I think that's pretty much it. I mean it was just it was a really fun event. Yeah. Um A good time. Yeah. Shout out to T C G Con for inviting us out. Uh so as for Yu Gi Oh news A there's lot been, of things. Yeah, there's been a lot. Uh I guess we'll just kind of... I don't actually have a list for a change. I wasn't we'll very prepared this dome. week. We'll go off the dome. I'm on Waigo Organization. So there's a full spoiler or just like reveal list um, on the official database for OTS Pack 24. Mm-hmm. Most people already knew about this stuff because it kind of been leaked recently. Good old leaker. <laughs> but we do know the ultimate rares are Chaos Angel, Rock of the Vanquisher, which I have to have now, an ultimate rare, and Harpy's Feather Duster. We also get super rare copies of King Tiger Wangu, Unchained Twins Arwa, Labyrinth Shendragliere, gotta get that, Cornfield Coatl, that's okay. one of the, uh, yeah, it's illusion, a, the illusion monsters, um, Unchained Soul of Sharvara, and DDD Wave King High Caesar, also Pirelli Sleepy Memory, Terrors of the Overroot, Pirelli Eep, or Pirelli Eep, whatever. Pirelli <laughs> you say? Menadium Reframing, and then several different commons that's like just kind of there are a few standouts among the comments are that they're reprinting Sephira, Queen of Dragons, kind of makes sense. Raid Raptor, Four Strix, because the Raid Raptor deck is mm-hmm. around. Um, and some of the Mad Spectre cards, things like that. So Makes sense, yeah. So that's like OTS Pack 24. Um, if you know, you play in your locals, 
or obviously regionals and things like that, you might be able to get your hands on some of these. I've always liked the um, I've always liked the OTS packs. They feel like smart reprints for the most part. Mm-hmm. Pretty, it's pretty consistent, and there's always going to be some big staple card that gets an OT. But then there there will be like important, relevant, like archetypal monsters that get their OT printings. Yeah, it's a great way to like rarely upgrade your deck, but also just like they they do a good job of like okay. You know, Ubel just got support, or Evolve mm. just got support, or whatever's got support, and there's, like, really old stuff you need to play it, so now this helps to kind of recirculate those. Even retro cars, like King Tiger. Yeah, which I think that's probably, like, an Edison, you yeah. know, kind of call-out, so. Yeah, cool. Um, you got something? Yeah, so I saw that the new Funko Pop list came out, or at least it was kind of spoiled. We're getting Yu-Gi-Oh! GX-themed Funko Pops. Okay, do we have a list? I have them off the top of the dome. I I got Jaden, yeah. Chaz, mm-hmm. uh, Harpy Lady 1, yeah, Ojama Yellow, okay. Wing Karibo, Elemental Hero, Avion, and, and Bersinatrix. Yeah, okay. I was right. I'd seen and this last, list here. And not least, for some reason, Harpy Lady 3 as a GameStop exclusive. Yeah. Was that all of them? Did I get them? Did I get them? Yeah. Yeah, you did. Yes. That's, so a bunch of new Funko Pops. I'm just excited to see Funko's kind of moving into GX mm-hmm. finally. I mean, there's obviously still a few like dual monsters themed ones here, technically, but like, I think GX deserves the love. I think that mm-hmm. we've gotten so many Yugi and Kaibas. We've seen so much DM era. It's received so much attention. And like Toon, Blue Eyes has gotten different variants and Red Eyes, all these things. So yeah, I mean, I'm I'm glad to see this. This excites me. It kind of makes me want to get Yu-Gi-Oh! Funkos now, but I don't know if I'm... See, I knew you'd become a Funko boy. I don't know if I need to be doing that. It's like, okay. It's, well, Funkos take up space. It's fine. We have a friend, Victor, who also likes Funkos, so you two can just collect together. The main problem, too, is if I start, then I'll have to also get a lot of the older ones because I'll want the completionist. Oh, well. So which of these are you getting? I want all of the GX ones. Okay. I've realized that GX is my favorite Yu-Gi-Oh, even more so than DM. Why is that? No idea. I think it was funnier. Yeah, for sure. The dub is is better. Uh, Well, here's the thing else new. Um, Have you heard of the uh, company Super Groupies? That sounds vaguely familiar, yes. Yeah, the Super Groupies Yu-Gi-Oh! DM collection. They're releasing um, some Duel Monsters-themed fashion items. There's a Yu-Gi-Moto jacket, which isn't like the jacket he wears. It's just a jacket that has some Yu-Gi-Oh! kind of references and Oh, wait, I misunderstood. You meant like Yu-Gi-Oh! the franchise fashion. I was thinking Yu-Gi-Oh! player fashion. I was expecting white t-shirt, jeans, and Crocs. Yeah, no. Okay. All yeah, right. no, no, sorry, no wife beaters and <laughs> basketball shorts here. No, no, no. They have these cool um, things. I don't know if you've seen them, but um, like there's like a Yugi Moto jacket. Oh, it actually looks kind of dope. And they have these model bags where it's like, you know, I guess if you're a high fashion sort of person, you might carry a, yeah, a bag like I, this. Somebody. Seto Kaiba scarf. With a pin. Yeah. A Kaiba Corp pin. A Kaiba model bag. So these are neat. This is definitely kind of more in that, like, you know, if you're in the fashion world, this is kind of cool to you because the prices on these are on the higher end. 
You know, super groupies. Not, now that I've seen that, that does remind me. They did a Kingdom Hearts collection at one point that looked really nice. The vibe of it kind of feels like those Final Fantasy kind of fashion collabs they would do. like The really expensive the stuff, yeah. Yeah, the Yugi jacket's $210. <coughs> the uh, Yugi bag is $170. i am okay. I'm good. The Kaiba I'm scarf good. is 140. The scarf? Yeah. The, the his, scarf. A scarf, yes. I'm good. I'm very good. And his good. bag is 170. So a little bit pricey. Is that So like which one costs more, the Kaiba bag or the Kaiba briefcase? I mean the briefcase from Konami. So that's where your money is, should go. I think guys. a little more expensive. I would probably rather get that as a card game player. But I think it's cool you guys doing more of these brand collabs mm-hmm. lately just kind of where they License out the brand, and will I be getting them? No, oh, uh, they're a little too rich for my blood. Now, if they want to send something over, <laughs> I won't hey, complain. Maybe we go to another TCG con, sell some cards, and get some bags. Yeah, um, <laughs> I mean, it does make me kind of think about you know, Yu Gi Oh as it relates to fashion. I think that the characters in Yu Gi Oh are actually very fashionable, like yeah. most of them. Because, like, if you think about it, like Kaiba's making a statement. Like sure, with, every time he steps out the door. Every time he steps out the door with, like, the kind of black bodysuit, huge silver coat, you know, and, like... And what, like, how does the coat even stay like that? Just, does he iron it and get, like, starch it? I think it's, like, it's got to be just <laughs> molded that way, basically. Like, it might not even be able to actually blow. It Can't just stays, in the closet. <laughs> stays, like, flared out the whole time. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the Yu-Gi-Oh characters are obviously pretty fashionable people. Mm-hmm. Are the players the same way? Hey, some get there. Yeah, I don't necessarily think so. I'd be looking regular. I'm not going to lie to you. I'd be looking regular. I try to look uh, a little bit distinct when I go to, like, events. Mm -hmm. But not, I wouldn't call it fashionable, but I do try to, um, you won't catch me in, like, wife beater basketball shorts Crocs. I've seen, you know, that. A little too comfortable, yeah. That might be a little too comfortable. A little too comfortable. But, you know, I I, I like to wear Yu-Gi-Oh! branded things. Like, I have Mm -hmm. that Master Duel hoodie and, like, stuff like that. Like, I like to wear that where I can and just sort of look a little more like I don't know Yu-Gi-Oh! regionals and stuff for me have always been like it's an event like if you feel kind of good like if you feel like you look good and stuff you'll feel better and maybe play better at least that's how it is for me that's not like one of those motivational things you tell like like teens yeah if you look better you'll feel better but it is true like just generally speaking I think you know that's the hot tip guys you want top of YCS dress well probably helps i mean at least a tad so uh yeah i thought that was kind of cool um as for like actual you know maybe more card game news let's see what have i noticed over the last like couple of days have you seen i mean a lot, there's been a lot of discourse around the uh the, our new format with our uh, snake eye overlords yeah snake eye fire king seems like it's really strong i was looking at reddit posts people some people were there were some people complaining that Snake Eyes is a tier zero deck, and there are people complaining about those people complaining that the the format hasn't been around long enough for you to claim that Snake Eyes is tier zero. Yeah, I mean, we haven't really had the first, like, YCS of the format. That's going to be next weekend. Mm-hmm. So, like, I guess if it turns out that, you know, it's the Fire King sort of fire Snake Eye deck gets, like, a lot of spots, then, yeah, I guess you could call it Tier 0, but and until then... And I saw then, random... Oh, my favorite thing, random claims about how one defines Tier 0. Because, like, one person specifically said that if a deck takes up 50% of top cut, it is officially Tier 0. And that's their wording, not mine. And I was like, 
Who, where, what officially defines a tier? Yeah, I always, I don't know Official. where I've heard this, but I, I remember always hearing that like it's sixty over 65%. Mm. But like that's an arbitrary number. I don't really know. Who yeah, why not 66% or 67? So, I mean, um, great question. I saw, I have seen some of the discourse on Twitter around like, you know, defining kind of decks and labeling decks by tiers and mm-hmm. how some people feel like they're maybe a little bit burnt of this system that feels like it it's a bit nebulous what do you think i mean you feel like do you have you ever seen okay like there's a tier one deck there's a tier 1.5 I mean, tier two i don't i don't really care tier one decks are decks that compete and win at tournaments tier zero decks are decks that just beat everything else in the format um that's the really long i don't really care what's a tier like 1.5 or a tier 2 deck. Maybe I think for people who are like in the competitive scene and they they you know they're competing all the time every day, then maybe such designations would matter. But since I'm typical I my play level is at a tier 3. It doesn't make yeah. much sense to like distinguish from a tier 1 and a 1.5 for me. Like I have some thoughts on it. Uh I kind of feel like the whole tier thing is as like just saying, you know, tier lists, tier zero, and all that stuff. It clearly kind of is a originated, not maybe not originated, but it was very popularized by like fighting games. Mm-hmm. But I think with Yu Gi Oh, it's really tough to post decks and tiers. Like even in fighting games, people have a tough time like agreeing on tier lists. Facts. But and and they change pretty dynamically as the meta game itself changes. But as I think with player Yu-Gi-Oh, knowledge grows. Yes, player knowledge grows, player experience, um, and things like that. But with Yu Gi Oh, it's tricky because like. Decks are like a collection of 40 cards that you choose. Whereas like a fighting game player, like a fighting game character is like you press like Ryu on the character select screen and like Ryu is Ryu is Ryu. I always love these analogies because I've always said that trading card games and like fighting games are very similar. Um, A character in a fighting game is a deck of cards. I feel like your mic is like, it's tilted down. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. I was saying that, uh, Fighting fighting game characters are like a deck of cards that you can pull at will. Yeah. But your kit is that deck. Yeah. I mean, I think that's sort of true. I just my thing is like I might build my Fire King deck a little differently than you build your Fire King deck. Mm-hmm. So, but whereas if we both play like Street Fighter Six and both pick Ryu, the, the deck is always they're the like same. identical. And so I think it's like a little bit harder to rank tiers because so much more comes down to exactly like how the deck is built, mm-hmm. and also you know. A bunch of other factors but speaking about it more like in the context of what it means to like an outsider or somebody kind of like trying to learn the tiers themselves i don't know if i like tier lists being like you know this is tier zero this is tier one this is tier two whatever because i think it's, it's just more like a flashy video title kind of thing it's it, i think and it's too early i think in a macro sense when a format ends i think yes you can make a tier list and be like fairly sure about your metrics and whatnot at the end of a format when all the data is in those you think it's like a more retroactive mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i think because i think it's very easy once formats are over and you have all those numbers that look won't back change and, and know yeah that's true i mean i don't know i just I, nowadays all i see is like you'll Either it's somebody like talking about like, oh, Team Sam calls every deck tier zero, right? Hey, man, that's just marketing. Like, you know, tier zero thing, or is this the new tier zero? Like, it's a great hype builder is claiming like, is voiceless voice going to be tier zero? Is whatever going to be, like, it's just, it's a way to kind of hype people up, get views, generate interest, buzz, sell cards on TCG player, cause buyouts. YouTubers are the problem? 
Yeah, we are. Oh. <laughs> no, but I mean, seriously, like, I, I do think that uh, it, a lot more of it is just, it's about, like, principle and sentiment than actually about any meaningful analysis at times. Right. Like, I don't know that we're really, because calling Dex tears almost feels like it's more about just, there's like a pride. I always sense a bit of pride that goes into people, like, my deck is not tier, like, two, it's tier 1.5. it's like, okay, great. <laughs> we'll stop you I, from I, losing a dark ruler no yeah, more. Yeah, it's like, it doesn't, like, I don't know that it changes a lot. Like, like it's like, we know that some decks are better than others, so it's not that I'm arguing that, like, oh, any deck can win if you try and believe hard enough. No. It's more like, <laughs> I just, I don't know that arguing about the specifics changes the approach to it preparing for an event. Yeah, I don't think so either. Or maybe if that's the case, like, the, the tiers should be, like... Should you be concerned about this or not? Like, like that's like a deck is either I'm concerned about playing against Fire Kings, Voiceless, and one other thing or whatever, and that's kind of what I prep for, and everything else, I just learn a little and hope, you know. I mean, I think it's in everyone's best interest to learn as many matchups as conceivably possible. Mm-hmm. Like, and if you, maybe you focus on decks that you, do, you consider only tier one, it just means that in those rogue matchups, you will be left a little you'll be your knowledge will be a little bit lacking in those situations you might drop around to some weird thing that people consider tier three but since you only considered what tier one decks you didn't even look at it so anyways um we also got some reveals about the cards in battles of legend oh yeah that's so uh, battles of legend chapter one reprints a lot of past battles of legend cards uh there are obviously you can find like some aggregate posts that just sort of show everything that's in the set. Just go, just go to Dual Daddy's Twitter. Yeah, if I can, I'll put it up on screen. Not a super exciting set is the general consensus, mm-hmm. but it's maybe more exciting. Obviously, if you're like a fan of heroes, light swords, some decent little Edison reprints in there. Mm-hmm. Absolute yep. Zero was one that I've heard. Ab people, Zero and Gaia. Yeah, a lot of people talking about those. Um, I think the only really meaningful reprint for like the competitive kind of nitty-gritty tournament goer is probably like um galaxy eyes photon lord or whatever um they rank eight exes monster that had a really hmm. hefty price before and it's reprinted in here i think uh you bell's got all of its uh forms reprinted in here and i know people have been testing around with you bell decks and regionals and whatnot yeah not too many um not really any staple cards like no, no spell one. trap kind of things so it's pretty much you can get your Light Swords in anticipation of Legacy of Destruction. Mm-hmm. They're going to be getting support. Um, you can get a lot of hero cards. Yep. Rarity upgrade a few of them. But yeah, it's mostly just kind of filling in the gaps. Uh, probably not a product that you buy, like, loads of, of sealed product. Uh, unless form. you really want the dice. There's a cool Black Luster Soldier dice I saw. Yeah, I thought there's a Big Eye die. Oh, I didn't see the Big was really Eye cool. Yeah, I thought that was neat. Um... How do you feel about these like chapter things? Like, you know, the like, legendary duelist chapter one and two. And, it's like, um, it's kind of like the idea of um, because recycling it's... content. I'm thinking from a YouTuber point of view. That's essentially what Konami is doing here. They're recycling products. Uh, we did it once before. Like, hey, th- we sold these before. Let's collect them together and sell it all in one. Like, yeah. I mean, you like them? I mean, they're fine. I guess. I think the dice are cool. I mean, yeah, the dice are pretty popular, especially with casual players. Um, and as long as they try to reprint cards that are kind of out of print and hard to get, I don't have an issue with it. I'm just fine with it. Um, 
like I said, or like you said, uh, this battle, battle's legend feels a little underwhelming. But um, one of the things I don't like is that this is fifteen ninety nine, and like you, uh, you get like I think like three packs mm-hmm. and a die, and like they always come in those big boxes that have a lot of empty space. Actually, I think you only get two packs. Oh my god, for fifteen? Yeah, I think you only get two packs. How I many cards in them bags? Um, well, in total, you get one secret rare, which is your promo. Six ultras in different name colors. So I think that's like three per pack. 30 commons and one of six collectible dice. So it's either two or it's three packs. But either way, mm. for fifteen ninety nine, I don't know. It just feels a little... I mean, it feels a little on the uh, scammier side of things, but... I mean, scammy is a strong word since I know that there's someone who... Like, you should know what you're buying. But it's like, is there $15 of value here? And I'm not... It is if you believe that there is. Is there, but is there fifteen dollars? Like the die, like come on, man. Like well, it's no, a die. Defense, sometimes the dice can end up being pretty valuable down the line. And that's on the secondary market, but, but like on do on, I think, on the surface, do I think that this is like plastic. worth a, a a buy. I'll say what I say about every single product that they ever release. Buy one for the culture, and that's it. Like it, this is something where I think you grab one just to support your card shop. Mm-hmm. Just you know, they listen. Your card shop had to make this pre order. Several months ago, they had no clue it was going to be in there, and they will be very, you know, hurt if <laughs> hurt. Like their feelings will be hurt <laughs> if this sits on the shelf and like no one buys it. So just buy one I to mean, support the card shop. I need a Neo cool Wiseman, so I'll I'll pull a few. Like I might pull, I might buy two. You know, yeah, and I need, and I don't, I need a Neo Wiseman. I think don't buy more than that. I, well, at that point, you're just playing the gotcha game, and and, and this one's not a good one. Yeah, I feel this like you lose. A, I feel like you lose this. Not a great gotcha. Okay, uh, any other Yu-Gi-Oh things come to mind? Ooh, uh, mm, 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 mm. I got nothing. Okay, yeah, we, um, well, I have two more really quick. So, they've announced more details about the Quarter Century stream, the QCC Quarter Century Celebration live stream. It's going to be this weekend. Yeah. Um, when you guys are watching this, it'll be tomorrow, so like Friday. Um, Paul's going to win. Yeah, my Master Duel opponent has been uh, announced. I'm going to be playing against Paulo Gonclaves, I believe. I, I hope I said that right, at least. He's a multi-time YCS winner, so oh, no okay. pressure. Might work. Might I, work. I definitely have the short end of the stick with my matchup. <laughs> it's like Crip versus uh, Chilled Chaos is, you know, kind of just variety gaming people playing against each other. C-Rex versus Rhyme Style. They're obviously like kind of a duo. And Jesse Cotton versus um, Joshua Schmidt, a big matchup that a lot of people want to see. Meanwhile, I got stuck with uh, playing against an extremely talented, proven player. Very competent. A little competent might be. Uh, like proven. And yeah, to be proven, you might even say. <laughs> uh, well, I'm going to try my best. It'll be fun. Wish me luck, guys. Tune in. I'll be streaming it um, on the main Team APS channel, and Konami will be streaming it, and you can watch me play my heart out on Master Duel. And I'll be on the uh, dueling side of things, uh, playing against a fifth-rate duelist. Um, yeah, it's duelings. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I guess duelings, maybe there's a little less pressure. Yeah, exactly. I, I feel nothing. Yeah, so, um, cool. Make sure you guys tune into that. I think it'll be fun. Um, my team name is, we have, they have team names. I don't know if many people know. I'm on Team Doom Donuts, and we'll be playing against the Hungry Burgers. And I'm on Team Bacon Savers. Okay. Bacon I forget savers. the other team's name. I think you're, you guys are going to be playing against roast beef. Oh, yeah. Or something. Or ghost beef, you mean. Ghost beef. Yeah. 
So some fun team names there. Um, don't know what else will really be involved in the stream. That's literally all I've been informed of. So uh, I know no more than you guys do. Um, yeah. Now there's a quick Reddit thread that I thought was like kind of worth mentioning uh -oh. on our Yu-Gi-Oh. Somebody asked, why is the TCG so bad at advertising their products or making announcements? Ooh. So um, okay, this person marketing. says, you see this with almost every single product. Ten days before release, they reveal all the cards at once. But before then, there's almost complete radio silence except for a select few. Like Most people didn't even know that number 11 Big Eye would be in Bowser of Legend, because, and they only found out because it was on a die that most people didn't even know about. Then there's the Kaiba case that will ship sometime around the end of February in the U.S. No information about the rest of the world, mind you. What kind of a date is that? It's kind of just a general thing. Which, by the way, that is one other announcement. Is the Kaiba briefcases are shipping in the next few weeks, I guess. Someone says, um, it's 2024. How can it be so damn hard to give a clear date? Same for the ban list, by the way. I can understand not revealing the main Booster Series products because you already get the list from the OCG. But what about the TCG exclusive product? Would it kill them to follow the OCG model and reveal a few cards every day? Um, it's not hyping up the products in the least to not say what's in it, at least not for me. It only makes it more frustrating. So this person's kind of um, dissatisfied with the state of how like you Yu-Gi-Oh! this kind of, person. It sounds like they were talking, they're speaking for thousands all at once. Well, they did get a lot of agreement on this thread. I'm not surprised. Nothing else. So, um, yeah, people kind of seem to feel that the OCG gets it better than the TCG in terms of like kind of hyping up the products, letting you know what's up. I also, I don't, I have complicated thoughts on this, but I do think that uh, the TCG could probably do a slightly better job of like advertising products leading up to release. Just because I have met fans now at a lot of these events, and mm -hmm. I've found more and more so that the average person actually just doesn't really know like what's going on. Like what's, what is going on in Yu-Gi-Oh? Like what's like winter, like people don't know set release dates. They don't really know dates for like things or like what's in products and and to not really much fault of their own i think that you go social media like official accounts are sometimes a little dry a little lacking like, like it works with um for core Yu-Gi-Oh players cuz we will actually go and search out the information yeah. but for people more on the peripheral or more casual fans that many some of them don't even know where to look Mm -hmm. And they they just like ah Yu Gi Oh is a thing. I'll just find out what's happening next time I go to an event. Yeah, I mean, do you think it's like could be improved or? I mean, clearly, I mean, Yu Gi Oh is just not well like marketed at all. Yeah, it's marketed to people who already know about it, and if you don't know about it, the Yu Gi Oh doesn't find its way to you. I'll read a few of the things people said. Um, the people responsible for the TCG simply can't be bothered to care about it. This is their words, not mine. Uh, hell, I'm not even sure there is staff designated for the TCG. From how things have been going for the last 20 years, it seems more likely there's no one specifically in charge, and they all just try to avoid it until someone eventually has to half-heartedly tell the intern to switch on the printing press, <laughs> the printing press, wow, or update social media, only to find out nobody remembers the password for their Instagram account. <laughs> Ouch, that's, that's mean. Uh, someone else says, OCG. Real game with lots of events, more affordable cards, card shops, cards introduced way earlier, etc. TCG, milk. So, milk. You know, they imply they're milking the TCG. Um, I think one thing that Konami kind of maybe does take advantage of is the fact that, like, when they release this information in these sort of niche, unknown ways, the YouTubers kind of do their job of, like, disseminating it and spreading it 
for them, I suppose. So but, you know, but we're all, we're stuck with the YouTube algorithm. We're only seen by people that are readily like looking for Yu-Gi-Oh information and play Yu-Gi-Oh like every day. Now, here's a one interesting uh, perspective from a person who works uh, at a card card shops and like for events. This person says, spending time working for event, working events for stores and getting to see how different games approach marketing, I'm shocked Yu-Gi-Oh does as well as it does. It probably has the most low-effort marketing of any TCG, certainly the worst of the big three. It has the worst support, the worst new player experience, a lack of real support for alternative formats, the most aggressive pack structure when it comes to MetaCard pull rates, and somehow it survives. Beyond advertising, this player base has been exploited for years. They print it and somehow we will just buy it. I thought last year would be the nail in the coffin. Sales were the lowest I've ever seen, and honestly, keeping organized Yu-Gi-Oh events running were more of a passion project than anything else. Woo! Then, bam, Ancient or Age of Overlord and Rarity Collection come out. Now people are buying whatever they decide to print. Oh, Maze has a $100 card in it. Better buy off the shelves. It doesn't matter that we only get four Ultras in a $90 box. I'm totally going to pull Bonfire and Thrust. We're the cockroaches of the TCG world. Battered ah! and bruised, but we just won't fucking die. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty funny. Um, someone, yeah, I mean, this, now, again, that's this person's words. I'm not saying that, like. And boy, were they you know, some words. Yeah, there were some words. Um, I think that they raised some pretty good points, though, just that, like, I do feel like Yu-Gi-Oh! coasts a bit. Like, wh- I think mm-hmm. that the people who play, that's us included, I'm not, like, excluding Yeah, we're, we're stuck in here, too. You know, but I think the people who play, we just, we're so into it. We're addicted. And, like, kind of, like, deep. That there's, we will find the news. We will buy the packs. Yep. We will do the thing. And even if maybe the practices with like pack pulling and stuff could be better, I think a lot of players are just, they're here now. I think Yu-Gi-Oh! is a bit of an addictive card game. I think it's a lot like cigarettes in a way. <laughs> um, That's funny. Like, you even though it's like a cigarette addict, they never have to have cigarettes advertised to them. They go get the cigarettes. True. They don't care about changes to like cigarettes they don't care about really much of anything they just need their cigarette from their like whatever their brand is and we're a lot like that where we kind of just need Yu-Gi-Oh um do our pull rates suck yes do we need more reprints yes do we need more communication from the people who run our game yes but it kind of doesn't matter because we're going to get our daily, like, intake of Yu-Gi-Oh. Why am I pretending like there's Coke on this table? I was doing it. <laughs> anyway, we just, we just kind of need Yu-Gi-Oh. And so yeah, we're going to go get it by any means I think means people necessary. have decided that, like, like it's kind of a weird, we, we, a weird thing. We play Yu-Gi-Oh almost in spite of its shortcomings. Mm-hmm. Which, like, you could say that about almost anything. But, like, Yu-Gi-Oh is a, it's a stronger example because there are like examples of games kind of doing certain things a little bit better or maybe in a more ideal way, like how Pokemon does like the kind of multi rarity thing in packs. And in no way do we force like or Konami how, to like adopt such practices. Yeah, or how like Magic advertises its products, in my opinion, a little better. Um they have like trailers for packs. Yeah, and they just utilize AI do, to get things out really quickly. They do big collabs and they may or may not utilize a few uh <laughs> artificial intelligence products. But Either way, yeah, I mean, Yu-Gi-Oh! could use some work. I, my last little take on this, too, is I think that the anime kind of hard carries. Yeah, even like, though it's kind of long defunct, at least in the, the West. So that's the thing, actually, is the anime is long defunct, and it did, for kids, 
like I think Konami and like Mario Yu-Gi-Oh owes so much more to four kids than we will yeah. ever know. Because like if you think about it, just you got like basically a decade of like animated content, well, technically like two decades really of like animated content of just like Saturday morning cartoons back when that was the mm-hmm. big thing, and it really like stuck in the public zeitgeist a lot like you know your Pokemon and like things like that. And even though that that anime, you know, DM like ended airing in like two thousand four or something, here we five, are. Like it's still it's stuck in people's heads. So the memes carry the imagery, just the kind of what caught people and gripped people. Yeah. And even though the card game today does not in any way resemble what they were playing on the show, not even remotely. Like both visually and mechanically, it just does not resemble it. But like the the brand name Yu Gi Oh has a lot of weight. Like so. Every time I see a dark magician, something happens in my soul. Makes me want to cut it up in pieces, but hey, that's just me. That's probably what would happen if you lost a shadow game. Anyways, I thought it was a kind of an interesting Reddit thread. Um, not meant to be like a bashing thing nah, for me personally, but guy, I think it turned it. into he went it. In. So. He went in. <laughs> yeah, so. Anyways, that's all the Yu-Gi-Oh, I believe. Um, you know, if I think of anything else, I guess I'll bring it up. That's fair. Anywho. Got some other card game stories. I do. Okay. So. So. You know, quarterly financials are coming out. Oh, are they? They are. And uh, Magic the Gathering reported theirs. What did Magic have to say? What do you have to say for yourself? Universes Beyond license hurts MTG operating profits for Q4. Okay. So Hasbro has revealed its Q4 financial results, and it seems like the MTG Universes Beyond license is taking a toll on Magic the Gathering products. Profits, not products. According to a report from February 13th, operating profit for Wizards of the Coast and digital gaming fell by 2%. It's not actually that much, but for corporations it is. Due to higher royalty costs associated with Universes Beyond. Yeah, because Universes Beyond is where they do like the... The collabs. collabs, basically. It says right here, Universes Beyond refers to a line of licensed products that have been released, they've been releasing since 2020. What began with third-party MTG secret layers has ballooned into full MTG sets based on other franchises. Previous financial reports hyped up the Warhammer 40k Commander decks, which were so popular and profitable that Hasbro had to keep reprinting them. So there's been Warhammer, there's been Lord of the Rings, and there's been Doctor Who. I think those are the ones that have happened so yeah. far. So far, I know Marvel's coming. Mm-hmm. Marvel's coming. Fallout is coming. Yeah. Uh, there's something else I'm missing. I'm sure. So I guess this is like the downside for a company to doing like the big collabs is that you do have to pay the royalty the fees, licenses, boy. And um, if you, I mean, I guess if the sales of the product are good, then it's fine. Mm-hmm. But you know, obviously, the thing is that is does not deter. Hasbro and Wizards at all. Okay. Because in this announcement, Match the Gathering will do two big crossovers a year starting in 2025. Uh, weren't they already doing two big crossovers a year? But they've made it official. Okay. So Match the Gathering will get two major crossovers a year starting in 2025 on the same scale as Tales of Middle Earth. So Tales of Which Middle was Earth huge. was the Lord of the Rings one. It was a huge set, but they also did like multiple releases, future yeah. products within that. So I remember that. The first two to kick it all off will be Marvel and Final Fantasy, both of which have already been announced for 2025. So there's going to be a lot of Marvel stuff and a lot of Final Fantasy stuff. So I'm going to be locked in. I will certainly be interested (laughs) in the Final Fantasy thing. I'd like to see what they do with that. 
It says, while we already knew that these huge crossovers are on the way, Hasbro has now confirmed that this will be a part of an ongoing strategy with the company seemingly setting up regular a regular release schedule. It also means that we shouldn't expect that schedule to kick off this year, leaving some time between the next crossover and the campaigns we've just had in 2023. Okay. So 2024 sounds like the kind of uh, year off, in a way, yeah, where 2025 cool ratchets is up to 11. Okay, I'm interested in that. I mean, I... I think that I will probably try out the Final Fantasy one because I really like Final Fantasy. Marvel, I don't think I know enough about like the Marvel comics kind of world mm-hmm. to, to get much, you know, to be able to extract a lot of value from that for myself. I will. You probably will. I gotta. I still have to give credit. Like I know, like Hasbro's not perfect, and like they come under fire quite a bit, really. And they make they sometimes have content creators come under fire. That too, but um. I mean, I got to give them props for, like, continuing to try to do the collab thing because it, it attempts to really grow the card game. Mm-hmm. And I think coming from Yu-Gi-Oh!, which, as we just discussed, is a game that kind of just focuses on just sort of maintaining the the crowd of established people and just simply satiating us. Yu-Gi-Oh! just does Yu-Gi-Oh! Which, which does a good job of that, at least. But, like, I think that it's cool that Magic looks to expand. It right. looks to, like, reach new people based on their interests. And that's something that I've always wanted to see, like, Yu-Gi-Oh! maybe experiment with. Mm-hmm. I know Konami's probably not, and that's not probably not happening. Unlikely. Unlikely, but, um, so, good for them. You know their magic things? I got one more. Okay. Uh, Wizards of the Coast offers Magic the Gathering New Perspectives Grant. New Perspectives Grant. So, Wizards of the Coast is offering up a New Perspectives Grant for historically underrepresented Magic the Gathering fans to attend Magic Cons. Wizards of the Coast has officially opened up applicant submissions for this grant to the WPN community and players alike. WPN? I have no idea. I'll look it up. There will be 10 grants given out so that select applicants 18 years or older. Wizards of the Coast. What? Okay, that was a typo. Wizards of the Coast encourages applicants for this grant to come from those marginalized based on race, ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation, disability, and or veteran or military enrollment status. The recipient of this grant will get a Black Black Lotus VIP package for a Magic Con and a $2,000 stipend for travel accommodations and expenses related to Magic Con attendance. Okay, just a quick update. The Wizards Play Network is Ah, the official sanctioning body for competitive play in Magic the Gathering and various other games produced by Wizards of the Coast. So, uh... So when I read this initially, I saw it's a grant. Okay, so they're going to help people out with their college tuition, maybe help them towards a career in car gaming. Um, no, uh, it seems it's more so just like a sweepstakes to like go to a Magic Con, all expenses paid. Cool, I guess. Um, well. Actually, now I think about it, a $2,000 stipend for travel accommodation and expenses, is that even enough? It is. I mean, I think that's enough. Okay. Because, like, if you think about maybe just flying, like, let's say your flight ticket, like, it's, like, a one-person kind of yeah. two-way flight, might be, like, $500. But, like, Magic Con And, like, like your hotel. Vegas. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I think it would be, 2000 would be enough, like, to cover just, like, flight and hotel. Um, and then it's cool. They're letting you kind of go to the event. So, on paper, I think this is a pretty good thing. I could see, like, a small bit of pushback about maybe, like, if it's... Only for, like, underrepresented groups. Then there's always kind of that conversation about, like, well, 
So did, I guess I'm assuming that they mean maybe like women, people of color. I mean, like, they, is that... they specifically said uh, race, ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation, disability, and or veteran or military enrollment status. Oh, boy. You know, we just made the mistake of having a somewhat political story last week, and that got... There's nothing political that, no, no, in no, no, this. No, 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 there's nothing political in this. That's not what I mean. But I know like people didn't, you know, love that. But I'm unfortunately going to have to double dip. I, I, I'm not sure. I, I could just see people really not liking the idea of, like, why am I ineligible for this sweepstakes just because, like, I'm, say, a straight white male? Well, if you fought for this country, you'd be eligible again. Who didn't fight for the country? Well, then say. what do you want then? What have you done? Yeah. I, well, no, 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 no. Like, I, I, I'm going to, I'm seriously, I, I though, just, like, I just. Yeah, like, I, I do think that with stuff like that, it's, it's just a little weird, I guess, because, like, it isn't fair. Like, if you're just a, a person, maybe it'd be different if it was, like, a, a scholarship like I know that that and even those come even those fire have, already. Yeah, they've, they're coming. Like to you fire know, too. people for those for similar reasons. But it's kind of weird. It's like okay, you can only win your free trip to MagicCon if you're not like a white guy. It's like, but I seeing this, I don't understand the point of this. I yeah, that that's another. I'm getting. Well, I'll get to that because yeah. so for, so first and foremost, I think that like that's already just it, it feels. It feels like it kind of conflicts with my sense of like you know where I stand on stuff like affirmative action and mm-hmm. kind of diversity initiatives where it's like they're good, sure, but then like there is probably a person who does not apply for these things, like you know who doesn't fall into these categories who could still use a trip to MagicCon. I mean, I think everyone who goes to MagicCon could use a free yeah, trip like everybody to would appreciate it. So I think that maybe just making it available for everybody would be good, and then maybe MagicCon itself could have other kind of like you know concessions perhaps at the event for people like you know maybe a person of color or like some sort of groupings or something but it it it, i don't say it rubs me the wrong way but it makes you it's a little odd and then for your point too this is a little weird like like, they're calling it a grant but i mean you're just winning a trip to an event right it feels weird like well, I don't understand what the point of all this is. Maybe they felt like the MagicCon attendance is too um, w- too monolithic, you might say. Yeah, too gentrified, too white. Maybe they feel that they, they want to diversify attendance. But then, it, but like giving out 10 trips to like... That's like, like it's 10 people, so 10, I don't know that that's going to really 10 change. diverse people? What is the goal here? You want to just get your 10 on stage, take a picture, and be like, look how diverse magic is. Oh my God, that's the plan. That's probably true, actually, because I'm guessing if you win this trip, you will probably be used in, like, or asked to be in, like, marketing material Mm -hmm. or, like, pictures. I mean, and maybe I'm being a little bit too, like, cynical about the whole thing, and it's just kind of like, you you win it, you go, you're happy, no one cares, right? Like, it might might just be fine. Because, like, things that are, like, things that are selective for marginalized groups they're typically to help them move forward in life to make up for whatever disadvantages they may have coming from a marginalized group. I'm not sure how being part of a marginalized group makes it harder for you to go to MagicCon. Not in any way that's... Yeah, I get what you mean. Because, like, it's like, oh, well, you might not have enough money. There's a lot of people who might not have enough money. That actually yeah. does not have that much to do with your Yeah, that's, that's kind of what I meant. It's like, I don't think it's... Like, I think that there are straight white guys. And, and, this, and this is coming from somebody who, like, I typically, you know, I'm kind of social justice-y, I guess. But, like, this is still weird to me because it's, like, 
anyone would appreciate a trip to Magic Con, so it's just weird yeah. that you can't get one if you're and like this isn't like getting a college degree this isn't going to improve your life when i read this initially i thought there was some great social undertaking here yeah it just feels like we're just trying to get people to magic con i don't know we might be reading too far into it if somebody has like a different and i i mean that like if somebody's got like a different perspective on yeah, a different on take. this i would like to hear about it i don't think it is a bad thing I think it's just like a weird thing. Like, and then, and then now here's my personal grievance against it. You know, typically when things are, you can only apply be, being from a marginalized group. That means you're only competing against a very small number of people. Typically, it's only based on something like race or a very, a very specific. But they're like, oh no, if you're part of any marginalized group, it's quite race, a wide net. like golly, that's a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, that, that is a wide net, and, um, and there's like the ten. Good luck, you're playing a lottery again. Yeah, I mean, I guess that, that's the nature of a sweepstakes. So it's a, it's not a sweepstakes; it's a grant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, well, I got a couple Pokemon stories. What you got? Um, so man arrested for allegedly stealing fifty thousand dollars worth of Pokemon cards from a storage unit. Why are we still stealing Pokemon cards? Yeah, this one comes to us from Dick Cerdo. A fifty-two-year-old man has been arrested and charged with a suspected robbery of Pokemon cards, um, worth around fifty thousand dollars from a storage unit. Uh, so you know. Whose storage unit had 50K in, like... Bellevue Police Department has reported that they arrested a man of 52 on suspicion of stealing cards from a residential storage locker. According to their reports, on January 23rd, a man by the name of um, Kelly B. Wick was pulled over by a Kirkland police officer after they noticed a white pickup truck driving with a registration that had expired over three years prior. That's that's what got him pulled over. Um, During the traffic stop, they realized that Despite the heavy rain at the time, several cardboard boxes filling the truck's bed were dry. The officer found that the boxes were full of Pokemon cards and merchandise, which were addressed to a resident of a nearby apartment building. After calling the resident, Wick was soon arrested after the owner confirmed the cards were stolen from their storage locker. The victim has claimed that the cards are worth between thirty dollars to $50,000, including the rare Japanese Detective Pikachu and 25th Anniversary Collection Packs. Um, in the days since the crime... Bellevue police detectives discovered a video evidence of a man believed to be Wick stealing the cards from the locker. So um, he was placed in King County Jail and has been charged with first-degree theft as well as second-degree burglary. All right. Look, man. Let's hear it. Y'all need to relax with these Pokemon cards. Like, Jesus. So many people have been caught stealing them, attempting to steal them, and you're all getting caught. Y'all, like, Officer Jenny must really exist. Y'all really out here like Team Rocket and failing. This man only got caught because his registration was out of date. Now, to be fair, there was a, there was also cameras at the storage unit, which typically in those, those storage unit type places, there are cameras, so... You'd at least want to wear a mask or something. What are you, Jesse and James? Bright. I think you're forgetting hair? the key thing here, which is that stealing is wrong. No, 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 no. That's not important. That's not important. Poke- <laughs> there is stealing in Pokemon. It was a whole mechanic in the show. But <laughs> how could you be so silly to be stealing thousands of dollars worth of Pokemon cards and then you're driving in a dirty car? Well, I'll just focus on what I think is the big deal here is, hey, don't steal kids. But also, um, it, it speaks to just the, the Pokemon thing, you know. that I don't think that this would necessarily have really, like, happened with... It probably could happen with Yu-Gi-Oh cards, I guess. But I think with Pokemon, there's, like, more of this 
knowledge by the common person that Pokemon cards are worth a lot mm -hmm. just in general. And so I think that that's what leads to more thefts for them. Still, though, I'm sure that this person knew who they were stealing from. I think you almost have to. Either they were a worker, they either they worked at the storage unit place and they just kind of saw, or, and this is sad, there's someone that the victim trusted. Yeah. And they uh, they got information and they figured out which one was their storage unit. Because, like, typically units aren't even marked, so you'd have to just, you'd have to have inside information to specifically steal from one. Yeah, it could have been a worker. Um so, yeah, it's a really unfortunate story, but at least it ended, or it's, it was an unfortunate event, but it seems like it's fine now, so. Look, I'm going to tell you right now, the boss is not promoting you. You're going to jail. Good luck. He's a Team Rocket member, huh? Nah, he's he's on Team Galactic or something. He, he's, not, he's not Team Rocket. Yeah, so um, speaking of that, Pokemon TCG player, this also comes from us. From Dexerto. Okay. Pokemon TCG player hits gold mine with decades old basement hall. So, um, a lucky Pokemon TCG player shared some snaps of a treasure trove of vintage Pokemon merchandise and cards they found tucked away in their basement. I'm assuming this is on Reddit. Yeah. Um, it's in the R Pokemon cards on Reddit. User experience. Okay. Four, two, seven, three displayed a mountain of boxes filled to the brim with vintage merchandise and trading cards. The fan explains in the post, that the merchandise was originally picked up thanks to their father's job at a Pokemon retailer and it's sat in storage ever since. Hmm. So there are some pictures of some of the stuff that they've got. Pretty cool. Is that I, sealed? Um, yeah, a lot of this stuff is sealed. Oh, I he got. Like, oh, he, he. Oh, he got a real gold mine. I thought this was one of those things where I found my old Pokemon cards and they're all kind of like beat up and scratched up. No. Yeah, I see. Like, this is like a Wizard of the Coast box. It's got like Aerodactyl and a Pokeball on it. I don't know offhand what this one's called, but that's really cool. Oh yeah, they they found they really found it. I saw that Rockets box sealed. I yeah. saw that. Yeah, I saw the Rockets box. There's just a bunch of stuff. Um, so, I guess... What if these are, like, the, the, the same collections? That'd be oh really funny. <laughs> like, it's like, yeah, this guy's like, look at all the stuff I found. And, like, shared it on Reddit. And then, like, put they it put in the sto storage. Put it in storage. And the next day, the guy... the guy, No, no. These were different dates. Um, both recent, but these were different dates. But, yeah, so it's just kind of cool. You can randomly stumble on this stuff. I think that... I know for these like collectors markets, these are usually mm -hmm. a big deal when like more of the product is known to yeah. now be on the market potentially. So um, I always wonder how like collect like the channels, you know, like the Leon Hearts and like other Pokemon kind of openers and Ruxin for that matter. And I watch like his Yu-Gi-Oh stuff, how they're able to just so consistently open the old old packs and stuff because like there's only so many of them. Well, no, no, no. But I mean, really, like it's there. I would be scared to open it because I know there's only so many. So even if I can afford to get the packs, they won't, like, exist forever. Do you know what I mean? Rare Hunters. No, but, like, we did it for one series that is now over. And, like, they just, like, upload videos, like, every every day. Packs are meant to be opened. Yeah, I know. But, like, my question is, like, how there's not a... My assumption like, is Like, once this. those are opened, they're just opened. My assumption is this. They actually have a copy of those things still sealed. And so they feel free to open the others because they have a sealed one still. Yeah. And so, other people still have sealed boxes. That they're not moving under any circumstances. So it's not like those cards are gone. It's not like those products are gone forever. It's just that um, there were some, some of them, especially the, the lighter ones, once you scale them, are worth more as content. Yeah, I suppose so. I guess it's more worth it 
what you get from a video is more worth it than like keeping the stuff sealed. It's if as long as you already have see if you have some sealed already, then you can make a more like a, uh, a you can make the judgment call. Yeah, well, they also had some cool like stickers and stuff from that time period, so that's kind of cool. Also, wouldn't that be making your box appreciate? Like, if you hold one sealed and you open up a bunch of others, that yeah, makes maybe one, the impression, yeah, makes okay. your sealed one more valuable. So, yeah, as you see, they have like some stickers and a uh, yeah, there's, there's some cool stuff here. So yeah, that's the Pokemon story. Uh, any other card game things? I do. I already forgot what these stories are. Give me one second. If I not, can... I have one more card game. One that go we can for go it. Go for real quick. So the Dragon Ball Super card game confirms a release date for an upcoming Fusion World. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the new Dragon Ball Super card game Fusion World will allow anime fans to battle intuitively with their favorite Z Warriors via tabletop or digital. It's an upcoming collectible card game based on the Dragon Ball anime series, and it's going to be releasing mid-February. So, um, per the official weekly Dragon Ball news video series hosted by V-Jump editor Victory Uchida, the interesting name, the new Dragon Ball-themed card game will be available in North America on February 16th. That's tomorrow Very when you're watching soon. this. The four starter decks being sold on launch are Son Goku, Vegeta, Broly, and Frieza. And then on February 23rd, Dragon Ball fans can look forward to the release of um, FB1001 Son Goku. Because it's like a different I version of him. it'll be, yeah, the first set or whatever. Yeah, um, the deck includes eight different leader cards. Goku in his base form, Super Saiyan Blue form, Beerus, Goku Black, Future Trunks, Android 17, Kid Gohan, Ginyu, and Cooler. So it's like a structure deck, essentially. Yeah. Uh, so what sets up the Dragon Ball Super card game Fusion World apart from its peers is its aggressive gameplay supported by its two new systems. Um, well, first of all, do you, do you know much about Fusion World or the Dragon Ball card game? No, not really. No, I, I played the Panini one. What was, what was that? A different Dragon Ball card like game. Older, yeah. Something older, okay. When the player's life points are reduced by half, the leader in their deck awakens. That feels very Dragon Ball. Get stronger. Allowing them the opportunity to change the tide of battle. Trying staying true to the spirit of Dragon Ball, the combo system allows supporting cards to add their power toward the leader. Mm-hmm. It's like a spirit bomb, I guess. Um, giving them the energy needed to deliver the final blow. Now, here's what's cool to me. The game will be available in tabletop form as well as a digital video game version for PC. Players who purchase the starter deck and booster decks will receive in-game rewards for the digital game when redeeming the serial codes. So similar to Pokemon. And uh, they actually they had announced an open beta test in late January. But they don't have a solid release date for when the PC game will come out. Oh. So what do you think? You're getting this crack? I mean, I, I guess I might as well. I'm Though it's very unlikely I'll continue with it. There's been too many Dragon Ball card games for me. And Bandai has released entirely too many card games for me. But I guess I'll give it, like, a try. Give it its due. I think I would try it just on the, like, PC game when that comes out. I don't think I want to really, like, get more physical cards. I don't cards. need more expensive cards. I mean, I'm in the process of trying to, like, shave down a little Yu-Gi-Oh stuff around here. But this so is really you, cool. you are available for more card games, then. I suppose so. Yeah, I'm, I'm, making, <laughs> I'm making room. This is another Bandai game, although this what's interesting about this is that they're making such a concerted effort to give it a physical a physical game and a like digital game pretty early on. Whereas like Digimon and One, One Piece, Piece even, which is very popular, Spirits. don't have those. They don't have them. We don't know when they're coming. 
So, hmm, kind of interesting. Like, what what made this Dragon Ball game be worth doing? I like mean, a- Dragon Ball is one of the most popular anime franchises in the world. But Dragon Ball Super's at least original card game, I know, was not very popular. But so I guess this is like a way of trying to spur that. I think they're trying to separate themselves from the Dragon Ball Super card game, and they just want this to sound like a completely brand new card game that's fun for any Dragon Ball fan. Just get into it now. Get on the ground floor. You know, we're gonna have our own master duel. Come on. Yeah, I just oh, I saw. So speaking of TCG Con earlier, I mean, I saw how popular One Piece has gotten. The cards are expensive. It's very, very popular. Um, and like holding a lot of value and like perceived kind of you know relevance and stuff. So it's a mm-hmm. surprise that as popular as One Piece has been, which apparently you know, it flies off the shelves that they haven't invested in, and maybe they are currently investing in a digital client for that. Bandai just Probably seems to move than, at this pace of molasses. Maybe, just, maybe these are different teams working on each game. I feel, so. They better be, because I'm sick of this. I know you probably would want a Digimon. Yes, digital I client. want Digimon everything. In fact, I wouldn't mind if One Piece and Dragon Ball shut down right now. Wow. Just you so know, Digimon you can You know what survive. I think, though? I'm surprised Bandai doesn't just have like a the same game for all their... Like, a digital client where you can just play them all. And like you just connect it to your Bandai account. It just... They, you know, they, they tried that with the app as far as consolidating everything into the, their one TCG Plus app, and it was a buggy mess. They finally got it together many months after release. I think whoever is running, like, trading card games for Bandai, they it's not that they don't know what they're doing. They're learning as they go, and so any grand idea is going to take them a long time to implement. They're just kind of winging it. Yeah. Okay. That's my story. So I have one other Pokemon thing. Oh, okay. We were talking about marketing card games, and uh, it actually makes this a little bit more relevant. Have you seen uh, these videos that the uh, official Pokemon uh, Twitter been putting out? I haven't. So this is kind of a really cool thing they did. Um, they did. They made these these cinematic kind of like trailers of a Pokemon battle. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this one, the first one was uh, Cerulege versus uh, Dragapult, and it kind of shows these two Pokemon battling out in all their dynamic ways. Uh, there's it, there's not much more to it than that, but it's but you know we just got those Yu-Gi-Oh animations, and we saw how much attention that brought to Yu-Gi-Oh. Yeah, such these things kind of these things are kind of expensive, but they keep your game in on they keep your game on people's minds. Then recently they uploaded another video of it's that same battle of Cerulege and Dragapult, but now it's from the perspective of a Gimme Ghoul. And I don't know I know you didn't play a lot of the newer Pokemon. Yeah, I know games, a little bit about Gimme Ghoul. Gimme Ghoul is that tiny little ghost Pokemon. And so the entire it's the same battle, but it's from this little guy's perspective. Oh, and so he's kind of just getting he's tossed kind of, around mm-hmm. and scrambling to. He's trying to get his little coin, and this fight, this big fight's happening, and he can't. Give like, him a gold, gold rush. That's really fun. You know, Pokemon doesn't have to do that, and the fact that they do, I think, is pretty right. cool. It, to me, when you make videos like that, and the same can be said of like the Yu Gi Oh! The Chronicles or whatever, mm-hmm. like that animated thing, it just helps players, like, rem- it reminds them that, like, of the immersion that they have in the world. Right. Because when you're just forced to kind of look at sprites on a screen or, like, just text or, like, an image on a printed card, your your mind can obviously fill in the blanks, but it's nice to see, like, you know, some animated thing or, like, you mm-hmm. know, CG kind of battle playing out. Like, what does a Pokemon battle actually look like when it's not just the two models 
just standing across the stream from each other, like taking turns attacking. So obviously, Pokemon's had a whole anime to showcase that, but but they don't like, they don't just rest on their laurels. There, they're always putting out new video content to it further engage their player base in, across multiple Pokemon. Uh, games and it helps when it's like some of the cooler Pokemon people kind of like you know yeah. Serral Edge is pretty popular but but Yu-Gi-Oh I mean oh only you know only recently have we done the same thing and it's been a long time I coming. heard something kind of funny about that actually um this isn't the the anime one I think they were probably planning on doing more animation stuff but with the VR thing I saw a story I meant to save it but it was like Konami cl- confirms that they're going to be doing more VR stuff after the reception of the VR, like, kind of demo at mm-hmm. the Tokyo Dome event. And so people were saying, wait, so, like, it was, they, they were just sort of gauging our interest, and they didn't plan to do that already. So some people kind of thought that was, like, a, you know, a bit of a joke. It's, a, it's, it's kind of silly. If, if that is true, that is really silly. Konami, not sure. Yu-Gi-Oh players would want virtual reality Yu-Gi-Oh. Like, come on, Konami. Well, there... <laughs> I'll play devil's advocate for a second on that, which is just that, like, it's not that people don't want it, but, man, like, the the actual, like, subsection of people that could experience that is pretty small. Because, like, A, you have to like Yu-Gi-Oh. Mm-hmm. B, you have to, like, like, you know, VR, AR, and then you have to also, like, be able to afford, like, a, a VR headset. Right. Of which, you know, the cheapest kind of one on sale right now is still, like, 300 bucks, 400 bucks. So I can see why they might not want to like invest a lot into building something like that if only a few people will really be able to to play it. I mean, I figured so, that you know they're releasing this thing around the same time as the Apple Vision Pros. Um, I do think, yeah, there's something like that's big. PSVR is big. The MetaQuest is big. I mean, I f- I figured they had only done this because they intended to make a Yu-Gi-Oh VR. I thing. think they did like, intend to make it regardless. I think that. They, they were just probably happy to see the positive reception. But I think mm-hmm. that they were already going to be, like, working on something. So, anywho. Um, okay, so I have a couple of quick ones. I'm just going to kind of lightning round these. What you got? Uh, Amazon Prime Video is facing a, 15, a $5 million class action lawsuit for its newest ad tiers. We don't typically talk about this sort of thing. Mm-mm. or Sort of, but Amazon's in the hot seat for tacking an extra monthly fee for ad-free services on its streaming platform. So, basically, more than 100 members who pay for Prime Video, which was ad-free until December 28th, 2023, must now pay an extra $2.99 per month if they want to watch movies or TV shows without ads. So, um, after announcing plans to introduce ad-supported tiers in 2023, they rolled out that change last month. And um, people are upset because um, they say that the company benefited from years of marketing itself as commercial free. And it claimed that the violations of other consumer protection laws, like breach of contract, false advertising and unfair competition might be relevant in California and Washington. So, um, yeah, I thought that was kind of an interesting one, but I don't think there's anything wrong with what Amazon's doing. I don't like it. Just to be clear. I, I use Amazon prime and I I've enjoyed using video without ads, but if they're make if they're now making you have to pay extra for ads, it's not they're not forcing you to pay extra. You can just say no and continue to watch with ads. Like it is it does it is it make you does it feel bad? Yeah, but I don't think it's illegal. Yeah. So it's just kinda interesting. I guess it's because like they advertise themselves as okay, this is an ad free platform, there's like an ad free or an ad free like experience. Now, if you want to get that experience, you have to pay an extra amount. Yeah, but that was what was advertised yeah. to you. So, a small thing and a bit of a preamble to the bigger story I have around. Um, you probably heard Funimation and Crunchyroll. Like Funimation is 
leaving for good now. Yeah. And a lot of its library is going to be transitions to Crunchyroll. Though, though to I be fair, think, I thought Funimation was already gone. Yeah, though I think that now um, there's some controversy around this because as, Funim- as Funimation closes down due to its merger with Crunchyroll, which kind of creates a bit of a monopoly on anime apps, uh, the loss of users' digital copies of, cert- of, digital- of certain titles is making some fans nostalgic for the physical media heydays. That is true. Um, Funimation and Crunchyroll have have the licenses to so much anime that uh, when once Funimation goes down, you know they can't. Not all of that's just going to show up on Crunchyroll the next day, at least until all of Funimation's uh, library is on Crunchyroll, which it may never be. Certain anime are gone from legal streaming online. Yeah, the uproar has been reminiscent of when Warner Bros., Disney, and other large corporations have removed shows from streaming, essentially leading them to no longer be accessible at all. In the case of Funimation, and this is actually news to me, there's a new wrinkle as Funimation was never a service where you could buy digital copies of anime. But when you bought Funimation-branded Blu-rays and DVDs, they would come with a digital copy that you could redeem on the app. So Interesting. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. It was essentially a bonus to engage audiences to commit to a physical format in an increasingly digital-focused world. So that's kind of interesting. Um, so the dig- so you bought an anime movie. It comes with a digital version, but the digital version was only accessible on the Funimation, on Funimation. platform. Now, the mm-hmm. good thing about it was you could watch that on Funimation without having a Funimation subscription. Right. So even if you're not paying the like, you know, $8.99 a month or whatever you still just had access to just watch that show on Funimation. Got so that was kind of cool. But um, since it's since the merger is happening, none of those will be available anymore. Mm. So it's kind of another one of those cases of like, um, you know, media preservation and just right. where that conversation It's kind of one of those like pro-piracy things because... Uh, when businesses do things like that, then the only way, if you want to watch a particular like show or anime, and it's just not available legally to be streamed anywhere, that's where it's like, well, so, somebody has pirated the entire series, and it's on a website that will not be named, and you know, you and you can just and you can still watch it that way. I mean, look, I know a guy who has the entire like uh, series of Outlaw Star in his closet somewhere. Do like, you? I know a guy. Yeah, I don't know. I don't okay. know. I forgot his name, but he's he's got all that. Like typically, but I, you know, I personally have a few Blu-ray collections of my favorite shows. I have Gundam Seed, which is I've I've said many times is my uh, favorite Gundam show. But uh, also, I have uh, Elreka Seven. That's another favorite of mine. I have the entire series. Uh, in, on I mean, Blu-ray. there's also the fact that like a lot of stuff just doesn't get Blu-ray releases. Like a less popular, just kind of twelve episode seasonal anime probably won't. You'd be surprised. Get. Yeah, but they don't all get it. I mean, they, they probably can't all get it, especially in the West, because we have to get, like, translations. And so in that case, like, if it ever just happened to get removed from Crunchyroll for any particular reason, you'd just never be able to watch it it'd again be, it'd legally. Be gone. I think, uh, I think uh, a savvy person would have a mix of legal Blu-rays and um, other things, sort. Other means of watching it. You know. Yeah, well. Like I, I, I know a guy who does this sort of thing. All my anime is legal. You, it's all it's sitting in right. my room right now. All my all my stuff. Right. I yes. got receipts. Well, anyways, I would like to hear what people you know listening have to like say about. I mean, I'm sure some people just don't care about this, or you don't even watch anime. Although it'd be kind of weird if you like you, you probably like anime. What do you guys think? I mean, uh, do, were you subscribed to Funimation? Are you affected by this? Um, I also heard that Crunchyroll is going to be increasing its pricing. 
Yeah. Due to the merger or as the merger happens. So. Thanks a lot, Crunchyroll. It's a bit of a shame because I thought that the merger was a decent thing to have all the anime in one place, but of course the price has to go up too, huh? Of course, of course. So speaking of things people not, may not care about, Marvel and DC Comics republished their crossovers, including their Amalgam universe. Oh, okay. So once upon a time in a place called the 90s and the early noughties... I don't know what that means. Marvel and DC Comics crossovers were pretty common. Batman and the Punisher, Silver Surfer and Superman, Batman and Daredevil, Darkseid versus Galacticus, Green Lantern and Silver Surfer, Batman and Captain America, and then we had the Marvel versus DC crossover event. Amalgam Comics was one of the final Marvel DC Comics crossovers, I actually remember reading these, in which comic book characters from each universe and publisher were smushed together to create new ones. They first appeared in a series of 12 one-shots that sat between issues 3 and 4 of the 12 issues issue series DC Comics versus Marvel Comics series from 1996, presented as if the Amalgam Comics publisher had existed for decades, with stories and editorial comments referring to a fictional history stretching back to the Golden Age, including the 80s fictional series Secret Crisis of the Infinite Hour. So there's a lot of like Marvel and DC references, and if you don't read comics, you didn't catch all of that. But for the most part, Marvel, uh, and this is for all of you MCU heads, this is probably going to sound crazy to you, but Marvel and DC has actually worked together many times. Uh, the comics have crossed over plenty of times in the past, and at one point they had a shared universe that was kind of a comics parody mm-hmm. because they created the Amalgam universe, and they then they created these characters who were just a Marvel character and a DC character, or a few of them smushed together, and then they pretended like this was a long-running thing so you would you would you would meet like let's say um, Bat Captain Batman of America and and like he would you'd have a comic of him that's that's happening kind of mid story he has a history he's got a past he's working towards a future and it was it was all in good fun it it, it was more parody so than they're re-releasing else. these yeah they're re-releasing these things they're back they're, they're going to be back on shelves and I actually think they're going to fly off of them. That's cool, you know. It would be interesting too if that could encourage almost like a future where the movies or shows could do the same. I know mm-hmm. those are those are so much bigger money makers now, and there's so much like licensing and stuff that that probably can't happen. But right. sounds cool though. Uh, my brother and I, Alex, we were obsessed with uh, with the Amalgam Universe comics. Uh, I mean, it, found, it sounds like a, literally a comic book fan's like wet dream. It's just the two very separate stories just smushed together. Well, speaking of Marvel, um, two last little quick ones before we get into the pot. Um, so, first of all, the Deadpool trailer came out. Oh, it did, didn't it? Deadpool 3, or well, as it's called, Deadpool and Wolverine. Um, it broke the record for the most viewed trailer within 24 hours, beating, hmm. guess what other trailer? I forget. Guess. Get, what trailer do you think held the record for most views in the first day? Endgame? I'll give you a hint. It is another Marvel trailer. Not Endgame. Is that your guess? Oh, okay, yeah, I'll go Endgame. It was actually Spider-Man No Way Home. Oh, okay. Yeah, which had 355.5 million online views in its first 24 hours back in 2021. This got 365 million. Um, so it debuted during the Super Bowl, and it seems like it signals a positive change in just public opinion around maybe the MCU. I mean, we people think Deadpool can kind of save it in a previous week, right? Yeah. You just said it. Yeah. That Mm -hmm. it would save the MCU. And at least from the trailers numbers, 
Maybe. What do you think of the trailer? I thought it was okay. I don't remember. I, I watched, I think, the first or second Deadpool movie. I think the first one. And it was so long ago, and I don't remember anything about Deadpool. So, like, <laughs> I had very little opinion on the trailer. Yeah, I, I, I like Deadpool quite a bit. Uh, I saw Deadpool's 1 and 2, and I have very little opinion on the trailer as well. Mostly because, well, I mean, I like Deadpool, but I don't think Deadpool is as great as everyone makes him out to be. Why do you say that? I, I just, I, Deadpool's kind of a joke character. He can mm-hmm. be funny. I think in the comics, he he has some pretty, uh, like, he has some pretty, like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Very interesting and entertaining stories. But I people seem to like Deadpool in this kind of toilet humor-y way. Yeah. It's just, like, they consume Deadpool like junk food. They, they, li- they love him, but I don't think they actually... Care, care about, about him. him. It, it, it's interesting that Deadpool, and to, to a slightly lesser extent, it feels like the Guardians of the Galaxy movies are like these Marvel franchises that exist kind of outside of like Marvel's MCU. Like they're they're obviously they're part of it now, but like you know what I mean. Where people like there are people who love the Guardians movies, yeah, and they like claim that they're the best thing ever, and they are. that like they kind of almost feel that they exist outside of the realm of the MCU. Many of which, them which did they feel that way, which they do as a trilogy, and so in that way, you know. It kind of feels like it's the same energy. I mean, well, I mean, this it's different since this one was is was literally a part because uh, the first Deadpool movie was with like Fo- was like what twenty something Century Fox or whatever. Yeah, and they were the helm of the old uh, X Men franchise, and so Deadpool was really the last dregs of a failed X Men franchise. That, but it was so popular. Marvel's like, hey, we'll just carry it. We'll just Take yeah. that and carry it. I heard it that on. there were some issues, um, oh, some, some creative disagreements and stuff. All through the pandemic, we kept hearing this. Things. But it's it's good to know that like they've come together to get something that's they made people something. Yeah. On the other hand, Madam Web released uh, or got early critic reviews and has been panned. Oh yeah, they, they've seen the hate. Madam, I believe Web. it's I, it's Rotten Tomatoes score is like fifteen percent, sixteen percent, right alongside like Morbius. It's Come on, part Sony. of their. Come on. Yeah, it's part of it's that movie. I guess it's like part of the Sony Spider Man verse, mm-hmm. um, alongside like Venom, which was not super well received. Morbius not well received. Madam Web. I know they released like a sort of short trailer. People didn't seem to like it. Critics are panning it. Thoughts. So, I think Sony's Marvel works are getting a bit of the same rap. As DC's movies, yeah, that sounds where really accurate. People enjoy hating on them, and I don't think people are actually watching them. Yeah. So I saw the first Venom movie. I thought it was at least palatable. I've seen it twice because I, I do find the movie to be enjoyable to watch. Is it a is it a wonderful film? No. Is is like is the CG stunning? No. Is the acting like amazing no as he says so you're such roasting the movie i mean but it, but it's it's a it's like watching a fast and furious movie to me it's fine it's entertaining i can i can watch it mm-hmm. i did not at all enjoy venom 2 i just i, I didn't I okay no i didn't either i watched um, it not my favorite i know morbius like was they say i guess laughably bad i never i didn't see morbius i wasn't interested in it just because the character of michael morbius never really drew me in from the uh, the old cartoon but um, I guess they got the benefit of it becoming a meme. Yeah, I mean, and then they re-released it just to find out people still didn't want to go and see it. So I think 
Sony, they are pushing or they're kicking this can down the road of, and it's sad to say, of returning Spider-Man and all those licenses to Marvel and then enhance Disney because they they've made three Spider-Man franchises. They've canceled they canceled them all except for one, and that just so happens to be the one they made in collaboration with Marvel. Yeah. So it doesn't even feel like it was their own work that got them to this place. And I was like, okay, you have so Sony gave you the alley oop, right? They tossed up Spider Man, and you were able to, and you, you, and now, it's, okay, now we can sink it and make our own Spider Man universe. Shouldn't be hard, right? Wrong, as they've stumbled on every, every single, project, single project. All right. Well, here's the big question: Will you be going to see Madam Web? Uh, yeah, I think I like the actresses, so yeah, um, I plan on seeing it. I'll I, see it. I know people say it sucks, but like, much like with the Marvels, mm. I plan on watching this. And just kind of like forming yeah. my own opinion about it. We'll see. I, en- I enjoyed the Marvels, but this feels like it's in a worse spot than the Mar- even the Marvels because so. I expected it to get a bad like predetermined like audience reaction, and then the critics would give it at least a more favorable score. The Some critics, the critics hate don't it, like so it. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't I mean, even know. I mean, we'll see. Anymore. I will report back. Let us know, listeners, if you guys are going to be. Hold it. I got one more. We need to enter into the console war. Oh, do we? Okay. So, after sales of the PlayStation 5 failed to meet expectations, Sony has said that the console is entering the latter stage of its life cycle. Okay, where's this come to us from? This is a this is from IGN. Okay. So, Sony had set an ambitious target of 25 million PS5 sold during the current financial year. I'm assuming this is coming from their uh, financial documents. Uh Ending March 31st, 2025, but has now revised its forecast down to 21 million. So that's 4 million short after PS5 sales during the crucial holiday 2023 quarter came in lower than expected despite aggressive promotions. Sony sold 8.2 million PS5s during the third quarter of its current financial year, ending tw- December 31st, 2024, up from the 7.1 million sold during the same quarter of the previous year. But that was not enough to hit Sony's lofty target. Two thoughts. So first of all, I don't think it's a big surprise. It's twenty twenty freaking four. Like we're, I mean, we're like three years into this cycle. I, I of mean, course, like sales aren't going to be perfect. And I think it's not like it's not selling. It's just it's slowing down. It's slowing down. But I think the biggest issue that they ran into was that huge stumbling block of the first year, two years yeah, the of first its year life or so of like very limited availability. Because it's crazy to think. They're announcing this game is at, this system is at the latter stage of its life, and I know people who still don't have PS5s. Yeah, I mean, you certainly can get one now at least. Yeah, it, you can so. get them. It just it just feels it feels, it feels early. It feels, it feels early. weird. It feels like the first year almost didn't happen. Which I remember when the consoles came out, I actually felt like because of the lack of games that were released mm-hmm. for them at, at launch, I felt like they should have released in like 2021, like like holiday 2021 instead of holiday 2020. And then if they had, then this wouldn't have. Then this, then you'd be like for sure right. Like it, it still feels early. I mean, between that and the fact that like it sounds like the Xbox Series X just is not doing well in terms of hardware sales. Obviously, in terms of games, it's like fine. I, you know, maybe give or take, it could use a few more exclusives or something. That's what I hear. But like, it's interesting. I don't know. I mean, do you think that? I, I think maybe they could change this with like a PS5 Pro. I know like people always kind of like those announcements, those mid-gen. I like, feel like. A pro announcement could help. 
But I, I really think Sony just wants to brush this generation under the rug. They didn't get as many games out. They didn't sell as many units as they wanted. It's strange to me, though, because, like, they still, like, won in the conventional sense that, like, they sold a lot more than Microsoft did. And they've generally had the better, like, rapport with gamers on the whole this gen. It just... Mm-hmm. I think it's just the economy and stuff. Like, man, it's it's tough to justify buying, like, a four or $500 piece of hardware when, like... You know, a ha- like a Happy Meal from McDonald's is like eight bucks. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I, I also I hate that kind of like just shareholder must we must be getting more sales every single year thing. When it's like, be happy that it's selling well. Because yeah, see if this were like a, a much smaller scale business, be they you know we oh we sold how many units? Great. That means we're still in business. But there, this is you know this is very corporate and it's all about. Increasing profits by any that was barely a shake, but okay. Increasing profits by any means necessary, and so uh, I don't know. I, I feel like Sony has a you know they they're a little off target, but maybe this is a good thing. Yeah. Moving towards like a, the PS6 generation and stuff, maybe that will just that'll that'll be good for all of us. Yeah, well, I wish Sony good luck. I mean, I don't have a PS5, but you know, I, I you do. Yeah, so it looks like even uh, Sony's losing the console wars. So I guess only Nintendo. Yeah, I guess winning. everyone's just losing. I guess Nintendo's everyone's winning. Losing, yeah, and it, sure. it kind of always was. So, all right. Well, Pot of Greed got our first cards to draw. Thank you guys for all your submissions. Remember that you can submit Pot of Greed questions in the form down yeah, below. Check the link, y'all. All right, take it away. So, uh, how do you feel about a once per turn special summon limit? No. <laughs> I, I, no. Even like three people always suggest like one special summon three five none of them would work because unfortunately like so much of modern Yu-Gi-Oh is designed around a lot of special summoning and so i feel they would just disproportionately help like kind of very strong stun strategies would be like obviously very good like maybe your guru control Mm -hmm. kind of eldritch style things but it would be no fun to now play like black wings or like synchrons that are that are character driven decks but even like elemental heroes, maybe like wouldn't even be able to function under that. Right. So I think uh, you can't put the bo- the cat back on this uh, bottle after it's been opened. This can of worms is open. We are a special summon heavy game. You can't just roll that back with a rule. The mm-hmm. cards are already printed. The strategies are already established. Yeah, I think the next best thing you can do is just alternate formats. Maybe lower power level format. That's something that I've always kind of wanted. But I think. Any special summon limits, the game was not designed with them in mind. And mm-hmm. so I think that kind of arbitrarily putting those sort of controls on things won't work. Right. Really and then well. Konami did that already as far as special summon limiting. They made Max C and people hated it, at least in the TCG. And so. Um, what would a Marvel or DC crossover look like? Do mean like in cards or? Yeah, I think so. Um, Over Yu Gi Oh! Like, how would we like to see, like, if they, if they were going to do one, how would we like to see it? Well, the closest we can expect to see from Yu-Gi-Oh! would probably just be that there would be, like, a superhero-inspired archetype, which we kind of have. <laughs> but, but if we're talking, like, actually a literal crossover... I mean, Kazuki Takahashi... Kazuhashi drew, drew Spider-Man. Yeah, That's he, like, did, uh, exactly. he did draw a Marvel comic in a secret uh, reverse. Yeah. Now, I, it's Is it sad that I think it's so unlikely this could ever happen that I just don't even actually have... Yeah, it's hard to imagine it in the card form and like a Magic the Gathering style crossover. Mm-hmm. But maybe in the on the Marvel side of things, there could be something. 
I mean, because Kazu Takashi also drew, I think he did an Iron Man. No, yeah. Oh, but that I was think. just like a static image. Regardless, he did have a relationship with Marvel Comics and Stan Lee. So there could be something on Marvel's end that incorporates some type of a Yu-Gi-Oh aesthetic into a future work. But as far as getting into the cards itself, I mean, the best I could ever even imagine is if maybe like the Power Pro collab they do like, like a single card it's like a vanilla like elemental heroes and like the avengers that would be cool if there were alt arts for the elemental heroes yeah like I, that, that's the best i could expect and maybe that would only be a master yeah hmm. it'd be cool maybe you just get like one or two cards like it it, would, it, might, it might only happen in the ocg and we just never get it and that's a very real possibility it's a sad possibility but a real one take it away Will Alec ever make Duel Links content? You'll so, be streaming it soon. Yeah, I will be streaming it very soon for the Invitational. So that if that counts, I did it. But I know that's not what you mean. Uh, for the most part, I play Duel Links very casually, so I don't know. I don't know if I could really make content that people would want to see. Really, it feels like so much of the Duel Links content is like just. How do you play this it deck just, in the best way? Because, I like, mean, can it win? So much of Duel Links is centered around the private sector of just, you know, winning, you know, decades tournaments and whatnot, uh, getting the king of games, getting to the, what is it called? The Kyla Cup the private sector. type situation. What, what, what does that mean? Hmm? What does the private sector mean? The private sector? That's the people who play this game for money or, or uh, in the, at least for decades tournaments, cryptocurrency. Yeah. Uh, I agree. I mean, I think, like, it's, it'd be tough because I know you do play. Kind of just for fun. And yeah, it's, I mean, I play so it like That's kind of hard to translate into watchable. Like, I don't know if there's an audience for that. Like, yeah, as far as videos go, maybe streaming playing casually could be a thing. Because we did that in the past where, I, you know, I just, I just played with uh, viewers and we all had a good time. It, it wasn't, it was like very competitive. But um, that's the best I could probably manage because I don't. I don't just spend a thousand. Okay, I do spend a lot of money on duelings, but I spend money on duelings on bad decks. So I just don't think I can make video content that anyone would want to see. Yeah, I mean, I guess some people would say like, "Oh, I want to see your bad decks." Then that gets into that typical like content thing where people are like, "Yeah, you should make this. I'd love to see it." And then you make it, and then like it doesn't actually get as much. Well, all the people that said they wanted to see it watch it. Both of them. Yeah. So it's just <laughs> kind of a. Anyways, my question is, who would be your Yu-Gi-Oh monster pet? All right, we got to separate all humanoid characters out because my yeah. first thought was Amazon is queen, and I know that's not what you were asking. Okay, I know what mine is. Mine is actually my current Master Duel mate, Unchained Abomination. Oh, okay. I would love to have a pet, Unchained Abomination. That's fat. That's I would have to definitely get it used to like being I don't friendly think, with me. I don't think the apartment complex would be okay with that. It might not. Mm -mm. But what about you? I'm not sure. Well, I got I to gotta really think about this because like a pet... So like an animal type Probably. monster, you know, preferably like warrior diagram. No, um, warrior diagram. <laughs> uh, this is tough. I can I see you having like a Raiko. Raiko did pop into my head. I thought and of you could give I him thought the, of, um, the Twilight Sworn like the kind cape. of cape thing, <laughs> like the possessed Raiko. But yeah. um, Raiko popped into my head, and um. Up, it's the other. It's another like dog-like monster that, that just disappeared. This is you know what the perfect game. answer is. I don't it's know. It's a Shiba Warrior Taro. That is the perfect. Answer. That's the Kazuki Takahashi. It's just a, it's so. a dog. Oh, wait, I want Marin. 
Okay. Yeah, <laughs> as long as it doesn't like die and then have to like kind of find you in the afterlife. I don't, I don't mind that either. It's a good reunion story. Like, yeah. Well, I, okay. I don't want my dog to die, but you know. Yeah. Like I've buried dogs. It's before. Part of the flavor. I'll do it again. Anywho, so. <laughs> that was a weird one to end it on. <laughs> Anyways, thank you guys for tuning into the pod. Oh, I want a pet dragon. Never mind. What do you want? I, I, I want a pet dragon. Just like any, just any, you go. Like, Harpy's I'll, pet I'll dragon? That one comes with a collar. Okay. Yeah, like, the other yeah, dragons don't have a collar. Harpy's pet like, dragon. Yeah, that's my answer now. Uh, thank you guys for tuning into the pod of greed. Hope you guys enjoyed. We'll see you again next week. Shout out to everybody watching the YouTube premiere. And anybody listening on any of your favorite podcasting platforms, links to all of them are down in the description. And remember, if you want to be featured in the Pot of Greed, then you'll have to leave a question in our forums below. Yeah. We'll see you guys in the next one. Past Past turn. turn.